The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and strategies to shake up the status quo in human resources and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. And today's a special day because we are debuting and launching Season 3 of our HR Trends with Game Changers series. Season 1 was great. Season 2 was even better. And Season 3 is going to just knock your socks off with great thought, leadership information, insights, inspiration from the best of the best. So let's get started. Today, the buzz is M versus B. What is Bonnie talking about? Let me explain. The M word, millennials, we know that's what everybody talks about top of mind whenever workforce issues come up. Have you had a conversation recently where the word millennials didn't creep into the conversation? Whatever. Okay. But the B word is baby boomers. They are, a lot of them, us, are over 60. Guess what? We're still working. We still love it. We still want to be a force in the workplace, and we intend to stick around for a while. So what do baby boomers need from your organization in order to stay on top of their game and be productive, happy, and healthy at work? And equally important, how can your organization prepare for what we see as a huge skills gap coming whenever, and I emphasize ever, baby boomers decide to retire, parenthetically, if and when they do? I have a great panel of experts here to share their insights with you, so let's get started. First up is Richard Eisenberg. He's Assistant Managing Editor and Editor of the Money and Security and Work and Purpose Channels for PBS's NextAvenue.org site for people who are 50 plus. And here's the quote Richard sent me. Here's a piece of it. 60 plus boomers who are still working full time want to receive the training that's so often restricted to younger employees. What kind of training? New technology tools, ways to be more productive and efficient. And they also want help transitioning into encore careers. Richard Eisenberg, welcome to HR Trends. How are you today? I'm fine. Thank you, Bonnie. Thanks for joining us. So talk to me. Interesting quote. How do we know that's what they want? Are they telling you that on Next Avenue? Tell us. They are, and uh, I write a lot about um, boomers and the workplace, and I found two interesting surveys I want to mention that really get to the heart of this. The first was from the Sloan Center on Aging and Work at Boston College. They do great work on, on the subject. And they interviewed employers, and employers, 40% of employers they surveyed, admitted that they were offering too few training programs for older workers. So the employers know that they're not doing a very good job. And then the flip side, AOL Jobs did a survey recently themselves, and they talked to boomers, and 62% of boomers say that they feel that they need new job skills. So there's a real disconnect here between what the boomers want and what they're getting. 
Very interesting. What do you think is the answer? Just briefly, Richard, is it uh, something that has to come from the top from older management? Do you think younger management gets it? What do you think? Um, I do think it you know, has to come from management, but I also feel that the boomers themselves need to speak up a little bit more. If they feel like they're not being told or learning enough about how to do their jobs better, how to stay on top of what's going on, you know, and they're, they're finding the management is not offering that, then they need to politely speak up and say, you know what, I'd like to learn more about this myself. Either maybe there was a training program that they offered to the new employees that, that the older employees would like to learn about too, or maybe they mentioned that there's a trend that they've noticed that they'd love to learn more about and, and try to get management to do something about it. Thank you, Richard. I, later in the conversation, I'd like to bring up the risk factor of employees, of boomers, as you said, politely speaking up. We want to want to help our listeners understand and frame how politely should they be, how assertive and aggressive should they be. You know the drill. So we'll cover that later. Thank you, Richard, for getting us started. Second on the panel today is... Donald Truxillo. I'm going to spell that so you all know. T-R-U-X-I-L-L-O. He carries the Ph.D. degree. He's a professor of industrial and organizational psychology at Portland State University. And Donald sent me the following quote. Organizations should find ways to develop a climate that supports people of all ages to enhance organizational health. A lot to get our arms around there. Donald Truxillo, welcome. How are you today? I'm okay, Bonnie. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. So talk to me. This is the, the climate of organizational health. That sounds like a big task. Let's go. Talk to me. Well, it is a big task, but there's been some really compelling research that's been done. Um, a few studies coming out of Germany and Switzerland that looked at a number of organizations, and they found that organizations that uh, where the, the employees perceive that their support for people, not just older workers, but workers of all ages, seems to actually help workers of all ages. So I think one of the, the dangers would be trying to support, uh, overly support, let's say, one group or the other. The idea is that we should support people at all ages and who have different needs, and that could be younger people, middle-aged people, and older people. Um, this research has found things like it's led to reduced turnover in organizations that have a positive uh, climate for age. Uh, they've also found that performance goes up. And so it's uh, some really uh, interesting evidence, and I think the, the big takeaway here is that we need to get people from the top all the way down through the organization, um, not only communicating that they support people of all ages, but actually following through with that. Thank you, Donald. I have a, a question for you. You can answer it briefly, and then we'll address it later in the roundtable. But my question is, do organizations really want the boomers to stick around much longer? I hate to ask that because I'm in that category, but talk to me. What do, what do you see? <laughs> I am, too. I'm in that category as well, Bonnie. I mean, what I hear now is that this is one of the concerns that a lot of organizations have is the, is the retirement of the boomers, and especially the knowledge that they have and the skills that they have. Um, I think one of the things that we haven't really addressed is best practices for skills transfer from one generation to the next. Um, there are some things we can do, like mentoring programs, but my take is that organizations are concerned about people leaving too soon um, more than they are trying to necessarily rush them out the door. But, of course, it depends on the company and the industry. Mm-hmm. And the person, too, going back to what Richard said, yeah. are they politely speaking up, or how polite do they need to be? We'll delve into that later. Thank you, Donald. And let's round out the panel with Gabby Berlaku. She is in Cloud Customer Office at SAP. And Gabby sent me a wonderful quote from Oscar Wilde, who makes an appearance from time to time on our radio shows. And the quote is as follows. The old believe everything. The middle-aged suspect everything. And the young know everything. Welcome, Gabby. How are you today? I'm doing great, Bonnie. How are you doing? Very well. Nice to have you. So, interesting quote. How did you find it and and talk to us about how it relates to our topic? 
Yes, well, I hope it's clear that that is not my take on the topic in a literal sense. I just think it's such a fun and whimsical quote that really exemplifies what the unfortunately prevailing attitude is in this topic area, that somehow employees of different ages have these, you know, irreconcilable differences in perspective that's going to make it really difficult for them to work together, really difficult for us to understand how to retain and engage all of them. And I think one of the things I would be really surprised if we didn't touch on during this segment is the idea that if we are satisfying and retaining employees of all ages, it's less about looking at those supposedly irreconcilable differences and more about really understanding how to engage employees of all ages. Um, so I think as researchers and practitioners, we really are tasked with understanding how to dispel those myths, look at the similarities, and understand what it means to retain boomers as well as all of the other generations down the line. Very well put. Thank you. And we will address a lot of interesting questions. By the way, in case our listeners haven't figured it out, our topic today is enough about millennials. What do the boomers want? Great topic. Uh, before we go to break, I have a very pressing question for my three panelists, and you all know what it is, because HR Trends with Game Changers is part of our big umbrella of Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP. I'm going to ask you first, Richard Eisenberg, what's in your cup today? What are you drinking? Or what do you wish you were drinking after? the show. Richard? Well, I guess what I'd like to be drinking might be the uh, pumpkin spice latte that I often pick up at Starbucks in the morning to get my day started this time of the year. Uh, I'm in New Jersey. It's fall, and uh, that sort of puts me in the right mood and also gets me out of the house to see some people. That's nice. Yes, we, we've heard that from other guests. I think last fall people were talking about that pumpkin spice latte. So it's a seasonal offering, isn't that right? Uh, it is. And sort of the, the funny um, anecdote I would add to that is last winter, here's the flip side, last winter I was in New York City. Uh, it was a very cold day. I went to a place called Cozy, uh, which is a, a, a mm-hmm. franchise of a kind of sandwich shop, and I asked them for some hot chocolate. It was on their wall, and they said, sorry, they don't have that. That's seasonal. And I thought, well, if that wasn't the season, what is? <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling, and pardon me, everyone, it might have been a millennial behind the counter. They just didn't no, get it. So. Oh, whatever. Thank you, Richard, for the story. I appreciate that. I'm in New York, and it's a little gray here. Is it doing the same in New Jersey right now? Yeah, I think the sun's trying to uh, peak out, but it's, uh, it's not making a, a great showing yet. We'll bring the sun out. We'll do it. Donald Tricks, hello. Where are you calling from today, Donald? I'm actually calling from the Oregon coast, so a little bit west of Oregon, uh, Portland. Very nice. I used to, I was in Oregon for 10 years, in uh, Eugene, I think I told you that for 10 years. So I, right. I know where you are. So what do you, what's, what's the hot drink or the cold drink where you are today? Well, I'm trying to pretend it's still summer, so I'm drinking a cold brew of iced coffee. Um, and what I'm actually drinking is, I'm from New Orleans, so I'm drinking a coffee and chicory, which to me is one of the perfect things to use in iced coffee. Wonderful. What does the chicory taste like? It gives the coffee a thicker, sort of richer, darker flavor, um, but it actually also, to me, removes some of the bitterness of a, of a coffee without the chicory. And this is, uh, the name of this brand is French Market, which is one of the, the big brands out of New Orleans. And so um, it's just, uh, it, 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 it's an iced coffee with a little bit of milk. It's just perfect to me, especially in the summertime. Wonderful. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And Gabby Berlaku, what are you drinking? Where are you calling from today, Gabby? Bonnie, I'm calling from Portland, Oregon. I am drinking a plain and boring coffee. I am a little pumpkin spiced out, to be honest. I've been getting a (laughs) pumpkin spice drink every day since they introduced it this season. It is still summer in Portland. I think a summer ale might be in my future after 5 p.m., of course. 
Okay. Oh, summer ale sounds very good. You go for it. Guess what? We're ready for our first break. Just about right on time. I want to welcome again Richard Eisenberg at PBS's nextavenue.org, Donald Truxillo at Portland State University, and Gabby Berlacu at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, in case you haven't guessed. We're so excited to open up Season 3, and I want to welcome Stephen Thorne, who is listening avidly on the line. Stephen, I'm waiting to see all those wonderful tweets at hashtag SAP Radio. Let's go ahead and start capturing the words of wisdom of our panelists. Our topic today is enough about millennials. Shh, what do boomers want? Speak it out, say it loud, say it clear. We'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Michael, out. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. With companies like yours competing aggressively for top talent today, HR tactics must be comprehensive and precise. Today's reality? Your organization is faced with the demands of a multi-generational and globalized workforce, diversity and inclusion policies, work-life integration challenges, and more. The bottom line? You need to attract and retain the best fit talent to support your strategies and goals, optimize your employee engagement, and become an industry-leading employer of choice. HR Trends with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Business with Game Changers. And we're back with our season-starting topic. Enough about millennials. What do boomers want? That's a big question. I'm not sure I could easily answer that myself. I will ask Donald Truxello later. We're in the same ilk. But let's start off the roundtable. 30 minutes nonstop with Richard Eisenberg at Next Avenue. And let's see. Richard, let's start out with the following you sent me in your notes. You say, employers, what should they be doing for those who are 60-plus still in the workforce? You say the employer should provide more opportunities for meaningful work. That refers to whether an employee thinks his or her skills and experience are valued and used well. That's the key. What does the employee think? Richard, why don't you kick off our roundtable and let's see where we go. Sure, absolutely, Bonnie. Well, that, that is, that's really what I believe. Uh, you know, at nextavenue.org, where I work, uh, the channel that, that uh, I do is called Work and Purpose. And purpose, I think, is just as important to boomers as work, which is they want to feel that they're actually making a difference on their job. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're changing the world, although sometimes that's the case, but they want to feel that what they're doing at the end of the day, every day, is actually you know, going to be useful and helpful and make them feel better about themselves and, and helping their clients or their customers or their patients, whoever it may be. And, and so I feel like the more employers can do to help the boomers 
feel that they are getting meaning out of their work, that they're making a difference, that they are getting opportunities for the things that really they value personally, uh, the happier the employees are going to be, the more engaged they're going to be. Richard, I have a question for you before we invite Donald and Gabby to chime in. My question is, how many employers today feel it's worth their while to make that investment in helping boomers feel worthwhile and valued and paid attention to if they're sniffing around, if the employer is sniffing around them, hmm, when's Mary really going to retire? Oh, Bob's getting up there. Let's see. How much effort should we really put into nurturing that employee? What's the, what have you observed, Richard? Well, I think the, the sad truth is that a lot of employers really are not paying a lot of attention to this, and I'm, in some cases it may be intentional. I would bet in many cases it's not. But uh, to go back to the Sloan Center at Boston College, in the survey they did of employees, they found that a third of boomers were not satisfied with their opportunities for meaningful work. So clearly people in the 50s and 60s are just not feeling that their employers are giving them these opportunities, and, and I think that employers really need to think more about it and do more about it. I think so. I think we need to raise the bar there. Donald Truxillo, what do you observe? I would tend to agree with what, what he was saying. Um, these, are, um, these are findings that are very similar to the uh, research that my colleagues in Italy and I have found across a few studies, actually, that um, really older and younger workers seem to be looking for different things and need different things in their work. Uh, older workers are going to want the chance to apply their skills, which they've accumulated through the years, um, that will tend to make them more satisfied and you know, actually even may reduce stress and turnover. Uh, the, for the, the younger workers, you know, do, they don't really have those accumulated skills yet to apply, and what seems to benefit them the most is to maybe giving them uh, the more tasks to do. They might find that interesting. What we found in our work, though, that, was, um, that goes along with this is that older workers, if you give them simply more tasks, it tends to have more negative outcomes for them. So the idea is that use the older workers' skills that they've accumulated, give them the meaningful work, which I think is a really important point that goes along with what the research shows happens to people's work motivation, that people become more interested in the intrinsic aspects of their work. So I would tend to uh, you know, think in terms of using the accumulated skills, use that resource that the older workers have, and let them apply those. That's where you're going to get the most from them. Okay, Gabby, thoughts on that? Uh, in complete agreement, I would say I think one of the difficulties that organizations have is understanding what constitutes meaningful work for older workers. Mm-hmm. And I have a couple of perspectives on that. First of all, I think all workers, regardless of age, need to be able to identify how the things they're working on day to day fit within the broader company strategy, how they're helping the company move forward in, in their goals. Um, and that's a way to kind of drive meaning. But other than that, different things will satisfy different people in terms of their work. And I think it's on the organization or maybe even the manager to really have a good understanding of what their employees' strengths are. Again, this is regardless of age, but if we're talking about older workers in particular, what their older workers' strengths are, what their interests are, and really match any job assignments to some of those things. Much I have easier a question. said than done, but I think it's but critical. I, I agree much easier said than done. Uh, Question for the whole panel before we move on to some of Donald's talking points. My question is, does HR need to bring on, oh, I hate to say this, I I won't say the geriatric word, but a specialist in boomer relations, somebody who, who is of that age group, somebody who understands, somebody who's really tuned in and can translate and be a liaison to the the rest of the HR team. Uh, Donald, I'd be interested in what you have to say. And, and of course, Richard and Gabby. Donald, thoughts on that? 
Uh, I don't think that that's necessarily the case. I mean, I think if you're certainly if an organization is struggling with that issue, of course, bring in a specialist that can help you with that, or really with any. Um, issue you might be having. But I think that uh, if you, taking this, this view of looking at what it is that particular employee needs, you know, keeping in mind that not all boomers are the same and not all uh, millennials are the same, but what does that individual employer, uh, employee need? And as Gabby said, going ahead and trying to um, figure out um, you know, what, what that individual needs is something that the manager or supervisor really should be the expert at, at doing because that person sees that person day to day, sees that employee day to day. Richard, thoughts? Yeah, well, I, my feeling is I think what, what I'd like to see more employers do is to have some generational training sessions that bring together the boomers and millennials in the same room and talk with them and maybe break them off separately at, at part of the day as well, but really hear from them about what it is that they want, uh, you know, as boomers, as millennials, and working together. Because when I, I did an article about generational training not too re- not long ago, and what I heard from uh, one of the experts was she said boomers often say they don't understand what the younger generation wants in the workplace and what motivates them and how to work with them. So I feel like if we understood the younger people better and they understood us better, we'd all work better together, particularly when we work together as teams. Good, good point. All Gabby, thoughts on that? Well, I completely agree. I think it would be nice to have someone that specializes in the different ages and generations working together because older workers aren't working in a vacuum, right? They're working alongside younger people, sometimes for younger managers. So I think it's critical that somebody be on an HR team that really understands those different dynamics. But to be honest, Bonnie, I could see hiring a boomer specialist as something mm-hmm. that would backfire because in a way mm. it sort of communicates back to the boomers, which is something that already gets communicated to them day to day you are kind of a problem that we now have to deal with. And so really singling them out in terms of having a specialist to kind of attune to their needs, I could see how that could be a positive thing and organizations could perceive that positively, but I could also see that backfiring from the perspective of the employees. Interesting. Richard, want to comment on what Gabby said and and, uh, Donald as well? Do you agree with her? Uh, I do agree with Gabby. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think that already boomers feel... Uh, that there's sort of a target on their backs in many cases, and sometimes, sometimes there really is. And so I do feel like if you brought somebody in and said, okay, now we're going to deal with the boomers, that seems like this is a problem. I, I think Abby's absolutely right. Donald? Uh, yeah, I tend to agree, but actually for, uh, for that and the opposite reason, I'm more worried that bringing in a, a boomer specialist is going to make the millennials feel like they have a target on their back. <laughs> um, I think the key here is to make sure that everybody feels like they're supported and, and that you understand all your employees, they're all you know, these great resources for the organization that can really uh, move the organization ahead, and no one group should feel like they're left out. One other point I wanted to add to Richard's earlier points about getting people talking with each other, I think this is a mm-hmm. really important point. If people uh, don't seem to understand each other, it can be really valuable to do that. One thing that a colleague of mine has found in their work is that very often um, people also within age groups tend to think that other groups think more negatively of them than they actually do. Okay, I'll say that again. They, ah. like, let's say an older worker mm-hmm. tends to think that younger people actually think worse things about them than they do. And younger workers tend to think that people from older age groups think worse things about them than they do. So that these conversations can also be like, oh, you really don't think that I'm just a slacker, you, or you really don't think that I can't learn anything new, um, that they can, uh, if it's handled well, there can be some really good communication that takes place. 
Thank you, Donald. I think we're going to move on to well, a related topic, obviously, but I want, I'm looking at some discussion statements from Donald Trixillo, and I like what you say about uh, a positive age diversity climate, Donald, and let's talk about the motivation. What motivates older work workers, younger workers? Uh, I'm looking here at uh, the resources that older workers bring, but let's talk about what are the motivators? What actually gets a person Let's face it, a lot of people have to stay at work longer in their lifetime because of the cost of living today. So people may be in the workforce in their 60, mid-60s, late-60s, where they grew up thinking, yeah, 58, 59, 61, I'll be sitting somewhere playing mahjong all day or I'll be playing tennis all day, and it's not happening. So positive climate, the positive climate, age diversity climate, um, Push me, pull you. I'm getting, I'm getting there, backing into it slowly. Donald, what do you think? Talk to us about, about how do you make everybody feel that there is a place for them and that I understand there are four different age generations in the workforce today. I don't think that's ever happened in history before. So let's start with age diversity climate. How do you make it work? I think that that's a really good question, Bonnie, because it's a tough thing to manage. And yet, if you've got good age diversity climate, you've got a real treasure. This is really something that mm-hmm. can benefit organizations in huge ways. And as I, ways, and as I said, this is been found with, with studies, multiple organization studies of hundreds of organizations, that the age diversity climate is one of the major uh, determinants of, the, of both the individual employee's effectiveness and the organization's effectiveness. Now, managing that is something that is, really takes some hard work. It's like any type of climate. It has to be, it can't be something that simply an individual manager does in the organization. It needs to be backed up from the top, and it can't be done through lip service. It can't simply be, oh, yes, we, de- we de- uh, we value people of all ages, but then uh, doing actions that really look like they favor one group or another. So this has to be managed from the top. Everybody in the organization needs to be aligned, and the organizational policies need to be aligned with, with it as well. But if you can get all of those in, in place, top management, supervisors, and the policies, there's a really good chance you can get a real belief that, that people, the employees will really believe that they, they are supported no matter what their age group and that uh, it, it can be a really much, it's just a much more positive place to work. Donald, going back to what you just mentioned a moment ago about a policy, an age diversity policy, do you need to spell out the PC-isms of that policy where you can't say, oh, she's old or, oh, he's too young or they're too new? Is there a, have we PC'd the workforce to, to, to tears where we tell people what they can and can't say because somebody might be offended? What's your observation? Well, I would actually say on that, I would tend to t- stay away from those terms like somebody being too old or too young. One is, besides it simply being PC, is that there are age protections in place in the, in the United States. And so uh, people, anybody 40 and over is protected uh, by the uh, federal laws. So if that's the case, if a person were to hear that somehow they were considered to be too old and they could actually prove that, that would actually uh, be a, a, the basis for a lawsuit. So I would tend to stay away from that. You can use excuse me, terms like maybe a person has more or less experience than somebody else, which really is often what we're talking about. Right. But, um, unless the job is one, one of these very rare jobs like air traffic controller that really does seem to show decrements with age because of some of the, the physical um, and psychological requirements of it. Um, I would tend to stay away from those terms and really try to, to stick, actually stick to the, the PC language. Interesting. I'm going to bring in a comment, and then, Gabby, I want you to chime in. Uh, last season on HR Trends, we had a show about the age diversity topic, similar to today, Donald, and one of the panelists 
said, we can't wait for the boomers to retire and get out of here. And I thought, oh, I almost uh, dropped the microphone and the headset and, and jumped over the fence and said to her, really now? Then you, <laughs> then you wouldn't be on SAP radio, but I digress. It was interesting, but that was that level of frustration was, yeah, we can't wait for them to get out of here. Any comments on that, Donald, before I turn to Gabby? Uh, first of all, I would, I almost dropped my receiver just now as well. Uh, and I, you know, I think, uh, I mean, I think that that's a good reason for people to be talking about the, what are the things that each group brings to the workplace. And I think that people of all work groups, different age groups have things that they can contribute. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what, I, I'm very curious to know what their, uh, what was behind that comment. I really, it could, I'm, I'm, I don't know. So, but that's, that, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't either. I, I tried to quietly <clears throat> her into her place, but what can I say? Gabby Berlacu, what do you observe in terms of an age diversity climate where you are, what you see in other workforces? What's the word? Well, I completely agree with Donald that age diversity climate does not come from one manager or one group of individuals. It really needs to be pervasive throughout the organization. There needs to be evidence that it is supported by policies, by attitudes. And I think action speaks louder than words at that point. I, I've spoken with many practitioners and organizations that um, basically follow the law when it comes to age policies, and that's about it. But it's pretty well known within the organization that, you know, younger individuals would get certain opportunities that older individuals will not. So in that sense, actions speak louder than words. Organizations need to be able to demonstrate to their employees, especially new and incoming employees, that this is their stance on age diversity, and here is why. Richard Eisenberg, what do you see? Well, you know, I want to go back to that quote because I was not so as surprised, uh, and I didn't fall off my chair when I heard it, although mm -hmm. my eyebrows went up. And I guess <laughs> the reason why I wasn't so surprised is I do feel that there are a lot of uh, millennials and some Gen Xers, too, who feel that boomers are preventing them from moving up the ladder. And it's not a personal thing. That it's not that they don't like these people, but they feel like, uh, we want our chance to run the show or get more responsibilities, and the people in the 50s and 60s aren't giving us that opportunity. So I'm not all that surprised to hear that. I don't think every millennial or Gen Xer feels that way, but I, I'm not surprised that some feel that way. Um, th there's a really great book that just came out I, I really recommend. It's called You Raised Us, Now Work With Us, and it's by a woman named Lauren Stiller Rickling, who's an expert on workplace, uh, generational workplace issues, and she went around the country and interviewed a lot of millennials and boomers to ask them about each other and what they thought about each other and, and that. And, you know, one of the things that surprised me when, when she did this one is she said a lot of millennials were very puzzled. They, they don't understand why boomers have the attitude that just because they had it hard that the millennials should have it hard. And they think that instead the, the boomers should have more of an attitude like, well, I had it hard, so I want to make your life easier. And I think that, that might be something that we might want to be thinking about. Very interesting, yes. And we hear that uh, from parent to child. Uh, or my generation had it harder. I want to make your life easier, although sometimes they change their minds. Uh, thank you very much. Gabby Berlaku, let's talk to some of your talking points here. Uh, interesting. Let me read a couple, and then we can go. You say, older and younger workers do not work in a vacuum. They work together. And then you talk about the implications of multi-age or multi-gen teams. And here's where I'd like to go with this, Gabby. You say changes in quote-unquote traditional career projection, proje progression. You say age is no longer strongly correlated with career progression. Tell us about that. Sounds very interesting. 
Yes, and I'm so glad we're touching on this because I really believe organizations have a tendency to focus on the different generations. You know, what do we do with these millennials? What do we do with these boomers? Forgetting that there's actually, you know, interrelationships happening here, that people are not working in isolation. We're seeing a huge rise in, um, you know, younger adults getting to management positions quicker because of some skill sets they possess. We're also seeing older adults in entry-level jobs, and that may be for various reasons. For instance, phased retirement. Maybe older adults aren't ready to completely leave the workforce, but they've left their career job. So they're coming in at the bottom level at another organization. And then all of a sudden you have these teams that are comprised of people of all different ages needing to work together. To add on to a layer of that, then, you know, at some point you're going to get the situation where an older worker works for a younger manager. That's becoming increasingly more common, and yet we really don't have a lot of research or policies that delve into that dynamic and really understand, you know, what does this mean for employee motivation? What does it mean for productivity? So something that I definitely am interested in is kind of uncovering those trends and the effects of those trends, considering they're very much on the rise. Thank you very much. Richard, what do you think about what Gabby just mentioned? Well, I, I think she's spot on, and uh, it, it reminded me of a couple of articles we published on Next Avenue. Uh, we did one that was called How to Survive a Young Abusive Boss because we were hearing from mm. a lot of our readers that they were suddenly working for people in their 20s who seemed, they felt at least, were uh, giving them a hard time because of their age. And, and then what happened after that was once our article ran, we got an interesting letter, and then we ran that as an article by a young boss, and he said, now I'm going to tell you how I survive abusive senior employees. So it works both ways. Wow, wow. Donald, any thoughts on that? What have you observed? And and we have to mention, I have to mention, you mentioned Italy. I want to mention that, let's see, you have something going on in Trento. You have held an appointment on the doctoral training committee at the University of Trento. I assume that's in Italy. Donald, what do you observe in terms of what Richard and Gabby have just shared with us? Um, I think that that this is a really good point, is that I think this is true, particularly in certain professions. Uh, I mean, for instance, the nursing profession has this... um, this expression that they sometimes use that uh, they eat their young. They use this among themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they are that basically, if they're if you're a more senior, more experienced nurse, there's almost like a, a hazing that people have to go through, um, and that you know if we had it tough, then other people have to have it tough as well. Um, I mean, I understand where that comes from, but it's not being particularly helpful to people that you're trying to bring in and keep. And in fact, there's some evidence that that can lead to people turning over or even leaving the profession if they get uh, treated that way for too much, for too long. Um, I want to go back to a couple of earlier comments, too, that we came, mm-hmm. to, came out. One was the, the person verbalizing the, the, um, the issues about older workers and saying that they sort of wish they would go away. I think what I was surprised at was that they actually, not that they held the belief, but that they verbalized it that mm-hmm. openly. Um, the second thing was wanting people to move along for, um, to having older people move along so that these more positions can open up for middle-aged and younger people. I mean, one yes. of the, the, the this is sort of uh, what I understand from economics is that this is a bit of a fallacy that that sort of is if an older person leaves and that suddenly frees up a job for a younger person. The problem is that when people older people leave jobs, the jobs that are left don't necessarily align with the skill sets of the younger people at that point. So that simply having more people leave on the top end doesn't free up jobs for which everybody at the lower end is, is already qualified. So um, pushing people out doesn't necessarily um, mm-hmm. help younger people. And then in the other situation, certainly in countries outside the U.S., having older people leave early for retirement only burdens the retirement system more, and that's going to create an unsustainable problem in a lot of countries. So whose responsibility is it to seek that, that uh, 
perfect balance, Donald, in terms what? of who stays and who goes and who gets on retirement, the, the roles of retirement, whatever it is, Social Security or whatever else they're doing, and who stays. And, uh, yeah, it sounds like there's a lot to balance here. What's your thought? Well, I mean, that's exactly the problem, Bonnie. There is a lot to balance. And in certain countries, what they're simply doing is raising the retirement age just by decree. And that's causing people to stay longer and to support the retirement system longer. Um, but the, it, it, but this is that does cause some generational conflict when you have countries in the EU who have a nearly 50% unemployment rate among youth uh, under 25. I mean, it's sort of mind-boggling. It's something that's so beyond what we're used to here in the States. Um, but it really, I think the, the thing to, to think about here is, Keeping people working longer, as long as they're healthier and are able to do it, is generally better for uh, the economy, and it will be keeping the skill set for the um, for the organization. Um, and it's it's I think it's really a, it's up to really a, at the societal level, the individual's level, and at the company level. So there are many many different forces that are going on here to determine when a person retires. And then of course some people may not completely retire; they may quit their regular job and then start what they call bridge employment, where they start up a new career. Let's talk about that. That's a great segue, and I was going to ask Richard Eisenberg to talk about uh, his research at nextavenue.org, how to launch an encore career. Let's, let's back up a little bit. Does the employer, let's say the last employer a boomer has, the last place of work, do they have any responsibility for helping to prepare or train or segue that boomer worker into a retirement career? Is there, is there any responsibility or just, okay, bye-bye, Bob, we're not giving you the gold watch, but it was really great to have you here for 30 years, and we hear you want to be an author. Well, good luck, Charlie. Send us a Christmas card. Is there any, any responsibility? Do certain companies that really get it try to help segue the older worker into a next career, or, or how does that work? Richard, what do you see? Well, a couple of things. I guess one thing is I think that it, it act, a company or an employer, I think, will get a better reputation as a good place to work if they are known as being good to their employees while their employees are working there and as their employers are about to leave. And so I feel like I'm not sure I would use the word responsibility, but I just think it's good management practice to say to the world, we want to help our people as they are ready to leave our company by their choice, uh, and we're going to do what we can. And sometimes that is, a, as Donald mentioned, phased retirement where they say to the, the uh, older employee and, and the management work out a system where instead of working five days a week, they work four and then three and then two days a week. And during that time, by the way, uh, and some companies are now requiring this for the people who do that phased retirement, those people then have to spend some of their time mentoring the young people so that all of their knowledge and expertise doesn't go out the door when they finally do leave the company. And I'd like to see more employers doing that and, and so that that kind of uh, knowledge base doesn't uh, walk, out, walk out the door. Uh, it gradually walks out the door. Mm, gradually walks out the door. I like that. Nice and slow and easy. Uh, Gabby Berlacca, what do you think about this launching an, an encore career? What do you think? Where's the responsibility? Whose job is that job? Well, I'll tell you, I recently traveled to speak with a number of companies on this exact topic, sort of the idea of different generations working in the workplace and what kinds of organizational policies we can create to kind of help ease that. Um, I was pleasantly surprised by how many companies seem to have programs and initiatives that address retirement and that address potentially moving into another job um, and another career. Now, I think on the flip side, it all depends on how well these programs are received. 
certainly if it's not perceived as valuable, if you know it's a silly one-hour-a-week seminar that you have to go to that's not part of your regular job that isn't very helpful, then it's not going to be as valuable. So I think it's really important for HR teams, great that they're having these initiatives and great that they're you know, taking on that role of helping employees ease into retirement or whatever their next step is, but they really need to evaluate those and make sure that they're being well-received if they're going to be valuable and worth the investment. Thank you. Donald, thoughts? Yeah, I would agree with Gabby on that, that they're just, we need to be looking at these different types of programs to ease people out. I think they're so valuable, as Richard said, but the idea is to see how to do them well. What are the best practices? And we just don't have the research on that yet, and yet it's, it's, an, it's such an important thing. A, a related topic would be how do you ease people into retirement and know that they're um, they've got the, the right financial resources. Financial resources is one of the best predictors of retirement success and retirement well-being. Well, how do you um, help people to prepare for retirement in that, in that financial sort of way as well? But these sorts of programs, I think, are, are where we should be spending some of our time trying to figure out what are best practices for organizations. Thank you. Gabby, we have a few minutes left before we go to break, actually about four minutes. I want to touch on something. Uh, it might have come up in the conversation, but I'd like to focus on it for a couple of minutes with you and the other panelists. You say, how do you keep older adults motivated when career progression is no longer on the table? So my question to you, Gabby Berlacu, is, is career progression something we all want at any age? And what happens when you hit, not the glass ceiling, I don't know, maybe it's the silver ceiling or the gold ceiling, uh, depending on how you feel about it. What do you say to people? You're, you're at the top. We don't have anywhere for you to go. We love that you're here. You're doing a great job, but this is the end of the line. We might give you a raise if we can, but there are no, no more promotions. Your title's not going to change. You're stuck. What do you say, Gabby? Well, and I think that absolutely happens, uh, particularly for the boomers. At a certain point, they've climbed as high as they can climb. Um, and I think it's kind of a fallacy. Many organizations believe, you know, oh, shoot, how do we keep them now? How do we keep them engaged in their current job when they realize that they're not going to be really moving anywhere else besides maybe laterally? And to that, I would say that it is incorrect that career progression is going to be motivating for everybody of all ages. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of research out there showing that, Younger adults are really focused on learning and sort of that advancement. Older adults are focused on slightly different things that I think job designers and HR teams can really build out. You know, there's all sorts of evidence that uh, meaningful social relationships are important to older adults, which is something you can definitely sort of design a job to focus on. Um, Things of that nature. So it really comes back to job design. Older adults can be very happy and engaged in the job they have, even even if they're not going anywhere else. Um, but HR teams need to kind of understand what it is that they want when building these final top-level jobs. Mm, thank you. Richard Eisenberg, thoughts on this before we go to break, and then we'll get Donald in here too. Go ahead, Richard. Sure. Yeah, well, I would uh, agree with what Gabby said. And, and in fact, there was a study that just came out today that, that uh, sort of documents that career builder. I just got this this morning. came out of a study where they asked American workers whether they are aspiring to leadership positions where they work, and only a third of people said that they were. So most people um, are not looking to be leaders. Uh, either it could be because they don't want to, it could be because they don't think it's going to be possible, but it is not the sort of thing that every person at a company, in fact, most people at a company, are looking for, and I think a lot of management doesn't get that. They assume that that's the only thing that's going to keep people happy, well, aside from money, uh, but it would be promotions. And I think, you know, these days, 
some people talk about uh, the, the sort of lattice rather than the ladder, where, the, where you move around from sort of a, one position to a lateral position, but something where you're going to learn something new and do something different and mm-hmm. keep you engaged as opposed to moving up the ladder. And a lot of people, I think, find that interesting, particularly boomers. I agree. Donald, thoughts before we wrap to break? Sure. I mean, one of the things we could bring up at this point is some of the increases that take place in people as they age in terms of their motivation, which seems to be this idea of generativity motives. That is, wanting to pass along information and help people at a younger age. These start to emerge by the research in people's mid-career and continue on through their later careers. And so this is why building up some sort of a mentoring program to uh, help people to uh, express these generativity motives, to help them to have greater social um, interactions, and it also helps the company by doing this knowledge transfer and leads to some of a, a very successful phased retirement uh, the way that, that Richard was describing a few minutes ago. But I, I, wanna, I think it's important to think of in terms of satisfying people's generativity motives, uh, which are, do seem to be a substantial um, effect that goes on starting in middle age. What is a generativity motive? I've never heard that term before. Would you mind uh, explaining that to us, Donald? Sure. It's the idea of wanting to uh, give back and to help others. In, in a way, it's related to the idea of the meaningfulness that Richard was bringing up earlier. Um, but it's wanting to, um, to be able to sort of have an, an impact and help others, help to maybe even if, it's, if you're in a profession, uh, give back to the profession and help to sustain it. Um, but it's, it could be a, a really useful uh, function when you think about it in terms of, of um, evolution, even it makes sense that this was something that uh, it came about in people in middle age wanting to give back and help the community, um, help the organization, help others. Thank you very much. Anybody else want to add anything? I have about one minute before I go to break. Uh, Richard, anything? Gabby, anything? Uh, the only thing I guess I mentioned we haven't really touched on yet is the idea of reverse mentor, and I really love this ah, idea. And I, I'd yes. like to see more of it where. Younger people teach older people things that the older people don't know, often relate to technology, but not always. Older people teach the younger people at the same place things that they know that the younger people might not know. Could be how this place works, could be who the customers or clients are, but where each of them learns from each other. Because I think in the past we've always thought of mentoring as being just one direction, older helping younger, but we can learn a lot Mm -hmm. from younger people. Very good point. Very good. As you said that, the sun came out amazingly. It must have been waiting for us to talk about that. Uh, what a great roundtable. Appreciate it. We covered a lot of territory with Richard Eisenberg at nextavenue.org, Donald Truxillo, professor at Portland State University, and Gabby Berlaku at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're going to take a break, and my panel is going to go out in the garage, the attic, the back of the car, the trunk, the backyard, anywhere, and find the crystal ball, polish it off, and when you come back, we're going to ask Richard first, then Donald, and then Gabby, to tell me your predictions. If we met again, let's arbitrarily say the year 2020. Barbara Walters, Baba Wawa likes that one. Uh, If we met again in 2020, what will have changed in terms of what's on boomers' minds? Will there still be any left in the workforce? OMG, we'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Michael, out. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network.
With companies like yours competing aggressively for top talent today, HR tactics must be comprehensive and precise. Today's reality? Your organization is faced with the demands of a multi-generational and globalized workforce, diversity and inclusion policies, work-life integration challenges, and more. The bottom line? You need to attract and retain the best fit talent to support your strategies and goals, optimize your employee engagement, and become an industry-leading employer of choice. HR Trends with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Business with Game Changers. In case you missed our very interesting, I might say scintillating, (laughs) very interesting high-energy roundtable, our topic today is enough about millennials. What do boomers really want? Well, we've covered a lot of territory in terms of what organizations can do to help keep the boomers productive and effective and happy and help usher them out the door when they are ready and not a moment too soon. We talked a little bit about reverse mentoring and what about the age diversity workforce and the climate of age diversity health. A lot of territory. Now it's time for our our prediction segment. We call it the crystal ball. And I know that my panelists were busy during our 90 second break finding that ball and polishing it off. And first up for the predictions is Richard Eisenberg at nextavenue.org at PBS. Richard, what do you see? You want to go out to 2020 or you want to pick a different year? No, I'll take 2020. Let's talk about six years from now. I mean, that's mm-hmm. fairly safe. Um, but let's talk again in six years and we'll find out. Um, but I, I think the f- one thing we're going to see more of, and we touched on this a little bit, but I think it's worth talking about more, is the whole idea of encore careers. You know, this is something that didn't even exist as a name until maybe about uh, five years ago, but it's really catching on. This is the whole idea of a second career in your 60s and 70s maybe where it's sort of a combination of purpose and a paycheck where you're doing some good mm-hmm. and you're getting some money at the same time. And there's a group called Encore.org, which I'd really recommend people visit uh, their website to learn more about Encore Careers. They're really sort of the, the, the big name behind it. And they just did a survey, and what they found was interest in Encore Careers has risen uh, by 17% from 2011. So there's been more interest in the past few years, and I think there's going to be increasingly more interest between now and 2020. A couple of other things I think I'm, we're going to see. I think we're going to see more of these phased retirement mentorship programs. At, at, at Herman Miller, the company that makes furniture that a lot of us sit on, uh, it's called a, a knowledge transfer plan. And, and I think what this means is we're going to see more firms saying, okay, before you leave us, we want you to spend some time telling the younger people here some of the things that you've learned over the years that could help them. 
I think we'll see more of that. And then I think in general we'll see more phased retirement programs at, at, at employers. I think that's beginning to catch on. I think we'll hear more about it. We'll see more companies like Intel, which is doing it. More companies are going to be doing this sort of thing, and more people are going to be interested in it rather than working, you know, sort of, full stop one day, instead gradually moving into retirement, maybe, you know, at 65 or 67 or 70 or 62, depending on the person. So that's what I'd like to, that's what I think we'll see. Keep going. What was that website? Uh, EncoreCareers.com? Encore.org. That's E-N-C-O-R-E.org, O-R-G. Um, and it's a great website if you're at all interested in the idea of Encore Careers. We write a lot about Encore Careers at Next Avenue because that's a sort of a typical Next Avenue for people in their 50s and 60s to consider. Thank you. And I just tweeted that. I'm tweeting it. There we go. It's out the door now at hashtag SAP Radio. Thank you so much for the reference. I'll take a look at it myself. You bet. Not that I'm, not that I'm going anywhere. Donald Truxillo, Ph.D., Professor of Industrial and Organizational Psychology at Portland State University. What does that crystal ball look like for you, Donald? How far can you see? Well, I think I can see, I mean, I'm going to stick to really two um, predictions. How's that? Um, mm-hmm. The Perfect. first one, I'll, stick, I'll say 2020. Um, I think what we're going to see is more research on um, interventions to see what's really effective and what isn't that can then tell organizations what are best practices. At this point, um, I think we're starting to get some ideas of what might be effective for older workers. Um, a lot of organizations are beginning to try different things, but I think the next steps will be to see what's the best way to implement this so that people really use it and what the, it really leads to the best outcomes for workers. Um, and I think that, that is a, that's the direction right now. As an example, I know there's some work going on in the Netherlands uh, trying to uh, work with helping um, Older workers craft their jobs in ways that are most effective for them. Uh, things like uh, helping them to choose what are the, the tasks to focus on, which things they might need to let go of, things like that. But um, that, that work is ongoing right now, and I think that uh, it leads to some really great recommendations for best practices in terms of what actually, what actually works and what doesn't. Um, the second prediction, I'll go out a little beyond 2020, and it's a, mm-hmm. a, an issue I have, and I hope it's, it's something that, that pans out, which is that, you know, we've tended to think of technology as the enemy of older workers, and um, I think that now that we're getting to the point where technology is much more sophisticated, um, that we have technology like touchpads, which are very simple to use, that actually let's think of, of technology as being a help to older workers and helping them to continue to stay on the job. If we're thinking about things like developing driverless cars to address the aging workforce, Let's think of ways that organizations can come up with similar solutions in the workplace that help people to work longer. Thank you very much. Love the two-level predictions there. Thank you, Donald. Gabby Berlaku, I have exactly two minutes left for you. Predictions, go. All right, great. So I think it would be an understatement to say that organizations are going to increasingly realize the importance of older workers as, some, as you know, a valuable resource because that's already happening. I think in 2020, we're going to see a lot more of that uh, by necessity. Um, but I also think, you know, in large part that some of the things we're seeing today are due to norms and kind of the violation of norms. The workforce is no longer, quote, unquote, normal. As you mentioned, there's four generations there, and this has never mm-hmm. happened in the past. So as the norms change, I think perceptions and practices are going to change. That being said, it's really important that we start managing this today. So, you know, if we're putting research out there that uh, Encore retirement or Encore careers is something that's valuable, if we're putting out the message that, uh, that, that 
dual direction mentoring is something that's important, that's a best practice, that's satisfying and retaining uh, and engaging for all employees, then these are things that are going to carry over into 2020 and beyond. So I think we have to be very careful now as organizational um, researchers and practitioners to make sure we're putting the right stuff out there now that's going to make multi-generational workforces successfully managed in the future. Thank you very much. Wrapped up very, very nicely. This is an exciting week for us because not only are we debuting HR Trends with Game Changers Season 3, tomorrow will be Financial Excellence with Game Changers, Wednesday morning as usual, Coffee Break with Game Changers, but we're bringing back Season 2 of The Future of Business on Thursday and Wednesday afternoon. We're starting a brand new series called The Customer Edge with Game Changers. Next week on Wednesday afternoon, we will flip the other way with the Internet of Things with Game Changers in that spot, and next week in the the Thursday slot where Future of Business is this week, if you're not confused, neither am I, uh, innovating innovation with Game Changers. So I'm excited to announce that we'll be having seven live series going on all at the same time presented by SAP Game Changers Radio. I have a special thank you to Richard Eisenberg at Next Avenue PBS, Donald Truxillo at Portland State, Gabby Berlacu at SAP. Shout out to Jennifer McAdams, Sylvia Lennon, Stephen Thorne, Malcolm Kimberlin, Brad and the Business Channel team, everybody who helps support the show. And let's see, how much time do I have left? I've got one minute left. That's a world of time in the world of radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham for SAP Game Changers Radio. And I want to say a special thank you. A get well to Brad, who's in the hospital with Brad. Just start breathing normally again. We need you back. Michael, you were wonderful. Always glad to work with you. And a shout out to Ryan Treasure at the Business Channel. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another live edition of Game Changers Radio. Talk to you tomorrow on Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.